What's up, Island Campus? You guys look awesome out there. Although, now that the lights are up, I can't really see much beyond right here. Um, my name is Kara Bellar. I am married to our lead pastor, and I'm just honored to be here with you. I love to come um, here because it brings back so many memories of starting something and building something from the ground up. And I just want to encourage Pastor Ryan and you guys for a few minutes because, you know, when you are uh, building a house, the foundation, the wiring, the plumbing, all of that is so essential. And it's essential that it's done correctly because no matter how elaborate your decor is, if you don't have a solid foundation, a strong structure, all of the unseen things in that building process are so important. And so you all are here in that, um, in that phase of planting and building the island campus. You are um, helping to establish that foundation, build a culture. And so what you are here doing is so vital and so important. And so thank you, Pastor Ryan, um, for just building an awesome culture. I felt it um, from the moment I came in, standing out front, uh, just that friendly, welcoming environment. And that's what I want to talk about today for a few minutes because it's important to be friendly, but most importantly, when people come through our doors, they want to know, can I find friends? Can I find relationships? And we're in a series called Relationship Goals. And if you have missed the first few weeks of this series, I want to encourage you to go back and catch those messages. The first two weeks we talked about marriage and um, maybe you just want to strengthen your marriage relationship. Maybe you need some, some uh, input. Those, those messages are there for you. Last week, we talked about a topic that probably felt like a little bit of a gut punch. We talked about gossip and, and the power of our words and how our words have the ability to build up or tear down. And I left super challenged to be more intentional, to really think about what I say, uh, because our words carry such great influence. Uh, so you can catch that message as well. And today I have the privilege of talking to you about community, close relationships with Christians who are going to help you grow in your faith, um, help you build the kingdom. That's what true biblical community is all about. And if I were to scan the room today and ask each of you, do you want a circle of friends around you who are life-giving and encouraging? Most everybody would say yes. If you didn't say yes to that, then I would want to have a further conversation with you. Unless you're introverted. If you're introverted, you're probably like, no, I'm good. Just me and my cat or my dog. I don't need all that. But for the most part, people want quality relationships. And the next question I would ask is, are you willing to pay the price to have those kinds of relationships? Are you willing to make the investment? Um, my husband and I are very different when we shop. I like to shop the two C's, consignment and clearance. He is more bougie than I am. Um, he likes nice stuff. And so when we go shopping, I get in the car and tell him how little I spent, and he will always say, you get what you pay for. And, and it's true for the most part. And so that also rings true in our relationships. You get what you pay for. Whatever you're investing in those relationships will return and come back to you. So I think a lot of times we want a lot from our relationships, but are we willing to make the investment to get that in return? Um, sociologists believe there is an epidemic of relational poverty in our, in our culture and in our country. Relational poverty. Um, and it's interesting because we're more connected than ever. 
social media, the internet gives us so many ways to be connected, uh, but our relationships are a mile wide and an inch deep. We have friends on social media, but how deep are our relationships? And you may not even realize how much you're missing in having that close circle of friends because you go to work and you're around people, you come to church and you're around people, but are there friends in your life who you trust and you're willing to open up to, people who inspire you and, and challenge you to be more like Jesus because we need that circle around us. Uh, social experts say there are some key reasons people experience relational poverty. Um, and one of them is increased mobility. People just don't stay put anymore. Um, they're moving. People don't stay put in church anymore. Uh, there is a culture of church shopping. And if, if you don't like this one, there's one down the street. And, and when you fail to stay and put down roots, you don't experience that depth of relationship. Uh, I think another challenge is we're all so busy. Our schedules are full, and we don't have the time to invest and sit across from someone and, and really hear them and listen and, and build strong relationships. Um, I think the biggest reason is probably the rise of social media. It gives this facade, a surface experience of relational connection, but it's really impossible to truly be seen and heard in a digital world. Um, we have someone on our staff who's walking through a really difficult right time right now. His, his daughter's in the hospital fighting for her life, and we've been calling and, and getting quick updates and text messages. And, and on Thursday, um, he called and he said, hey, can, can um, you just see who on staff would meet us for lunch? Like, I just need to see you guys. And there's something about looking into the eyes of someone who's struggling, putting your arms around them. And saying, I see you, I hear you. Not just I'm reading your words to tell me what you're facing, but I can empathize with you. We have these things in our brain called mirror neurons, and, and, and they kick in when we're across from someone who's weeping because God's word says weep with those who weep. And someone's celebrating, and his word says rejoice with those who rejoice. And when you see that and you're in relationship with them and you're in close proximity to them, that's how that happens. It can't happen through a text message. It can't happen through a social media post. I mean, those are great ways to stay in, in touch, but if you want deep relationships, you've got to carve out time for that to happen. Um, our culture also celebrates independent, independence. The more independent you are, the more you're celebrated. But God created us first to be dependent on him and then to be interdependent on each other. He's designed us in that way. I depend on you, you depend on me, and ultimately we depend on God because we're going to let each other down. It happens. It is reality, and so we have to ultimately lean on God, but we don't give up on each other. If I disappoint you, you let me know, and vice versa, and we work through it instead of just saying, you know what, you let me down, I'm leaving. We stay through the hard conversations. And, and if I'm going to be honest, my natural tendency is to pull away. To keep people at arm's length because if you've been hurt it's it's just like a physical injury when you're injured what do you do you want to pull away and avoid what might hurt you again and so you keep people at arm's length and i have to fight through that because i've seen the beauty and the benefit of being in relationship close relationships you know i've had those seasons where i've said you know what jesus is enough and he is enough and there are moments in life where you walk through dark times and he's all you have 
just like him in the garden, or Abraham when he climbs the mountain with his son Isaac, or Jacob wrestling with that angel. It's just you and God, and there are those moments, but that can't be a way of life. We can't stay in that place, and I've seen that, that when I put myself in proximity to other believers who can speak into me and encourage me, it strengthens me. The safer place is to withdraw and to stay at arm's length, but we experience his power and his presence in a circle of friends who are coming alongside us. The main priority of our relationships as followers of Jesus Christ, our main priority is not um, just hanging out. It's not just social get-togethers. We are here, we are together in relationship to build his kingdom, to help each other become more like him. Um, if we make our friendships just about hanging out or having our needs met, those friendships will break down. The gauge of the quality of your relationships, if, if your um, definition of a good relationship is based on the question, what have you done for me lately, that relationship's going to break down. And when you start to feel that way, when you start to look at a friendship or a relationship or your church family, and you're like, well, what have they done for me lately? Maybe you flip that and you ask, what have I done for you lately? What have we done for someone else lately? And then that shifts your perspective. See, if we have a circle of friends who are focused on kingdom priorities and helping each other become more like Jesus, we can work through disappointments and challenges. That's our priority. Um, I read a quote by John Stott. He's a theologian and an author. And he said, we aren't passengers on a cruise ship dedicated to our own comfort. We're the crew of a lifeboat dedicated to saving people who are drowning in sin. If we approach our relationships from that viewpoint, that, that we are here to work together to pursue and, and, and further the mission of God, and we stop making it about us, a lot of the offenses, a lot of the things that hurt us fall away because in eternity they don't matter. So if your friends are focused on the mission God's given us, a lot of those trivial things will not get in the way. If our circle of friends are only people who look like us, think like us, vote like us, dress like us, We've missed the beauty of the kingdom of God. If our main goal in friendship is to find people that we enjoy hanging out with, we've missed it. But if our goal is to grow and glorify Jesus, our differences won't divide us. They make us stronger. But that kind of community requires commitment. And are you willing to make the commitment? You need a group of strong believers around you to pray with you, to encourage you, to love you, and to keep you accountable. And everybody's like, yes, yeah, sign me up for the love and the encouragement and, and the celebration and all that. But when it comes to accountability, I don't know if I want that. You don't stumble into relationships like this. They take intentionality. They take work. It requires investment. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 are the foundation that, that we use for relationships within the body of Christ. This is a glimpse into the early church and how they did life together. It's a snapshot of, of how they interacted, how they did life, how they loved each other. And on the day of Pentecost, after Jesus had ascended back to heaven, the Holy Spirit descended on the people of God and, and the church is birthed. He empowers them to spread the gospel and to live in unity. When, when you think about the day of Pentecost, the, the church went from 150 people 
to 3,000 people in one day. And scripture says that in that, in that city, there were people from every nation, every background, socioeconomic differences, cultural differences. And in the, the early church, 3,000 people from all those backgrounds come together. Do you think unity is going to happen apart from the Holy Spirit? No. The Holy Spirit helped them live in unity. Acts 2.44 says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. If you have your Bible and you circle, write in your Bible, circle that. If not, make a mental note. They had everything in common. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Some translations say they continued steadfastly in the disciplines of community, fellowship, learning, and prayer. To continue steadfastly means a single-minded commitment to a course of action. A single-minded commitment to a course of action. You've heard people say he's laser-focused or they have tunnel vision. The early church was laser-focused on being committed to each other in the mission of God. In the original language, it was the idea of a communal commitment. It wasn't an individual pursuit, like I'm going to be committed to the church. No, together we are committed to each other and to what God's doing. And before you go, yeah, that's really cool, that's awesome. Again, I want to ask you to reflect on that moment in time, 3,000 people from different backgrounds, different cultures, and it says that they had everything in common. They had everything in common. Not some things, but all things. How is that possible? And I don't want to overstep, but I wonder if it could possibly read, they had all things that mattered in common. The same Savior, the same faith, the same love for God, the same love for people, the same mission, the same convictions. Have you ever had the opportunity to build relationships with people or, or step into community with people and you've made the statement, well, we just don't have that much in common? See, I believe the early church flourished because instead of seeing their differences as something to keep them apart, they realized that their differences and in each person brought to the table actually had the potential to make them stronger. It says they enjoyed the favor of all the people. That is a picture of having favor with the world. See, I wonder, the church doesn't have a lot of favor with the world right now, but we also have a lot of disunity within the church. And we want to point the finger and talk about how hostile the world is, but I wonder if we could get closer to the unity God's called us to if we might have more favor in our culture. In Acts 2, 42 through 47, it says they were devoted, steadfastly committed to breaking bread together. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. Coming together around the table is something that is so significant and symbolic. And we see it all throughout scripture. The table is a, a huge part of our history as believers. In the Old Testament, it was the Passover table. In the New Testament, it was the communion table. In Luke 22, we find Jesus at a table with his disciples, preparing them for his death and, and what would come after that. In Luke 7, Jesus is at the table of a Pharisee eating a meal when Mary anointed him with expensive perfume. In John 21, Jesus chooses a meal as the setting to restore Peter after his failure. In Revelation 19, we read about the ultimate meal in heaven prepared for the church, the bride of Christ. 
And if you read about that moment, that is a meal, a banquet set for every people, every tribe, every nation, every tongue. And if that is what the church will look like in eternity, that's what the church should look like now. The table is a place of common ground. It's where we find connection and belonging. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus taught a valuable lesson about a meal around a table. He'd been invited to, to a meal at the home of a Pharisee, and, and he, this Pharisee and his other Pharisee friends um, did not invite Jesus into his home out of hospitality. They wanted to try to catch him in something that would prove he was breaking their religious laws. And I love Jesus because he confidently went to this meal, and he broke one of their laws. A man walks in with a withered and diseased hand, and Jesus heals him on the Sabbath. And the Pharisee says, well, um, are you supposed to work on the Sabbath? In their mind, healing was work. And, And Jesus intentionally did this, I believe, to prove that he would not allow rules that stand in the way of loving God and loving people keep him from fulfilling his purpose. And while Jesus was healing someone, all of the other guests were fighting over who would get the best seats at the table. And instead of Jesus trying to be a people pleaser, he just spoke truth. And he said in Luke chapter 14, verse 12, When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, What a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. I think there's one of these guys in every crowd. I think it was probably getting really tense in that moment. And he over-spiritualized it and he blurts this out, but Jesus kind of just keeps going. He said, A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, Come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I've just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, Go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, there's still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full for none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. Now, when Jesus said, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, and your rich neighbors, was he saying never invite them? No, he was saying don't exclusively invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, and your rich neighbors. Don't exclusively invite people who are just like you. When you look at your circle of friends, does everyone look like you and experience life like you? Does everyone at the table match? I don't mean like literally wearing the same clothes, but you get what I'm saying, right? Kind of like when you set the table with coordinating dishes, everything matches, that Pinterest perfect table that you want to set. I want to give you a visual of this because I think we do live Pinterest lives. We, we are around people who are just like us. We want our lives to, to be perfect and, and concise, and yet God's calling us to set a table that's not so picture perfect. And I, I just want you to think about that because as you're setting your table, 
who is sitting around it? Who's invited to your table? Do they look just like you? Do they think like you? Or is that their diversity in your table? And see, when you do this and you're not actually talking, it's a whole different um, process. But as we were preparing for this message, I thought, you know, I want to be able to set a table that doesn't look Pinterest perfect. I want it to be an example of what our lives and our table should look like that bring diversity together and the beauty of it. See, this doesn't look like a Pinterest table. Nothing matches. Every set of dishes uh, represents what I hope a different culture, a different experience in life. And that's what our lives should be like. When we look around our table, when we look at our circle of friends, do we all look the same? Because I believe the scripture's challenging us to be intentional to c connect with people who aren't like us. James 2.1 says, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? To favor means prejudice, favoritism, snobbery. Judging someone by their outward appearance or circumstances, not based on their intrinsic value as someone created in the image of God. I want you to hold that thought. See, Jesus knew he was only invited to lunch that day because the Pharisees wanted to catch him in breaking the law. And then he turns around and he scolds them for being snooty and exclusive. Can you imagine that moment? So here's the story with this banquet that was being held. And this time there was no, they didn't have mail, they didn't have text messages or Facebook events where you can invite people. He sent a servant out to connect with all the people invited to the banquet to, to give a face-to-face -face personal invitation. And evidently, based on this story, in that moment, everyone said yes. They knew the date of the event, but they didn't know the time. And so on the day of the event, the servant would go back out and say, it is now time for the banquet. And when he does this, everyone who had been invited has an excuse not to come. The one guy says, oh, I've, I've just bought a piece of property and I need to go look at it. I mean, who buys property without seeing it first? Um, I've just bought some oxen and I need to test them out. I mean, do you buy a car without test driving it? No. Um, or, oh, I've just gotten married. I can't make it. Well, in that day, the betrothal and marriage process was really long. So surely this guy knew he was going to be married already. So what, what was the point Jesus was making? These were all excuses. And we come to Jesus. We accept his invitation of salvation. And that invitation comes with the expectation that we will come to the table with other believers who aren't like us, who don't look like us, who don't think like us. And we want all that goes with being a Christian. We want the grace. We want the forgiveness. We want heaven. But when it comes to showing up at the table for Christ-honoring friendships, we make excuses. Because when we have to sit across from someone who thinks differently, when we have to sit across from someone who looks different, who's had different life experiences, it gets messy. It's not easy. And we don't want hard. We want easy. We want friendships to just happen. But it takes work. It takes commitment. So who's invited to your table? If you want a full and rewarding life, it requires opening your circle and expanding your connections. And it's not about inviting someone to your table because you feel sorry for them. That's pride. 
It's about inviting someone into the table who doesn't look like you and experiences life differently from you because you can learn from them. Not because you want to teach them something, but because you can learn from them. Building true community isn't about having a social circle to hang out with. See, there's an enemy determined to steal, kill, and destroy your life. And going up against him on your own is very dangerous. God has called us to do this together. If you're battling a temptation or you're in the midst of a struggle and, and you don't have people around you to help you walk through that, you are stepping into dangerous territory. You have to find your people and you have to make the commitment and be willing to stretch yourself, get out of your comfort zone, talk to people who aren't like you, learn from people who aren't like you. And here's how I want to close today. Maybe you're new to this area, new to this church, and you've not found your circle here. Can I encourage you to take the initiative? You know, sometimes we sit back and we wait and we think, okay, when someone comes to me, then I'll step in. Take the initiative. Be intentional. Maybe you've been attending for a while and you've just kind of been on the fringe. Can I encourage you to be intentional? Make a connection? We have a great way for you to do that. Today we have welcome party. It's a great opportunity to hear more about this church to meet people, to find out where we believe God's taking us. And then we ask that you just pray about being a part of that. If this is where God wants you to be, we want you to put down roots and to plant yourself and to experience all that God has for you. This summer, we're going to plan meetups. We're going to have opportunities around the community for you to show up, have a good time, do some things together as a church family. Build relationships, and then in the fall, we'll kick, out, kick off small groups. Uh, maybe you would want to open your home and host a group or lead a group or be a part of a group. It takes all of us being willing to open our hearts, open our lives, and open our homes if we're going to make space for the people that God wants to send. See, the church grew and flourished because they opened their circle. A closed circle is a click. If we don't open our lives to other people, we aren't going to have space for the, God, for the people God wants to send. It's not about a bigger building or better programs. It's about having lives and hearts that are open to those that God will send to us. So I'm going to pray, and then Pastor Ryan's going to come and give you guys some direction. And Really, I guess the practical application is open your heart and your life. Who's at your table? Who have you invited to be a part of your life? God, I'm so grateful for the church, for the relationships that I've built here, for the way you have used that process of iron sharpening iron. God, you've used encouragement. You've used people in so many different ways to help me know you better. Sometimes you express yourself to us through the real tangible arms, hands, feet, presence of your people. God, I pray for those in this room that they will experience that. It's scary to open our hearts if we've been hurt. It's, it takes work and time and effort and energy to prioritize relationships, but God, the reward is great. Thank you that we didn't come to know you just to have a relationship with you, but we were birthed into a family, people to come around us so that we can show the world what that looks like. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.